So Caleb covered sort of the, 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 our, the reality of, our, of who we are in God and our creation, the reality of the brokenness of sin in the world in relation to this, and then also the reality of our union with Christ uh, and the objective love of God the Father. Um, I want to take that and sort of funnel it into a personal, into my life, and say, how did I experience this, or how do I experience this? So that's the direction we're going. We're taking that, that reality, and I think between Lindsay and I, we're going to cover how this relates to real life, to, to how we live day to day. So in praying for the relentless love of the Father to penetrate our hearts, we are praying a prayer that God desires for us. I think this is important for us to know. Jesus wants us to experience the love that God the Father has for us. That's why he came, to save us from sin, so that we can experience and live in the relentless love of God. This is the love, this relentless, unending, infinite love that God so loved the world with. Pete Gregg says it this way, The most important discovery you will ever make is the love, of the, fa- the, love the Father has for you. The power in love, the, your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that you, that the one who made you likes you. He's not scowling at you. He's on your side. However, if we're honest about it, guys, we, we struggle with accepting that God the Father really loves us. So what I want to consider today is how we get that objective reality, the beautiful, amazing, unending, infinite love into our minds, into our hearts, and into our bodies. Henry Nouwen, uh, an author who's meditated long and hard on, on this struggle, uh, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, said this. One of the greatest challenges of the spiritual life is to receive God's forgiveness. There's something in, in us humans that keep us, from, keep us clinging to our sin and preventing us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. While God wants to restore, us to the, restore me to the full dignity of sonship, I keep insisting that I will settle for being a hired servant. Receiving forgiveness requires a total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing, restoring, and renewing. I like that image. We, like the prodigal son, approach God the Father saying, oh, hey, <laughs> I'll just be your hired servant. Just give me a job. And God relentlessly says, no, you're my son. And I think a lot of us do this, day in, day out, consciously, subconsciously. We want second. We don't want to have to deal with the relentless love of the Father. Maybe you're a perfectionist who think that you really need to prove how good you are, and that will make you feel loved by God. Maybe you did have a bad authority figure or parent that withheld or abused you. Maybe you're still holding on to some uh, area of sin that is preventing you from accepting the forgiveness and love that the Father offers. For me, it was a combination of all of those things. I struggled to accept the Father's love because it's just so much easier to believe the lie that I am not good enough, that I am not perfect enough. I don't deserve his love. I've struggled and still struggle to accept God the Fa- that God the Father loves me. And according to John Owen, this is one of Satan's favorite strategies against God's children. This is an old English, so bear with me for a second. I think this quote is in your little packet. Flesh and blood is apt to have very hard things of him, of God the Father. To think he is always angry, yea, implacable. This is not for poor creatures, that it is not for poor creatures to draw nigh to him. 
Now there, there is not anything more grievous to the Lord, nor more subservient to the designs of Satan upon the soul than such thoughts as these. Satan claps his hands, if I may say so, when he can take up the soul with such thoughts of God. Satan has had enough. All that he desires when we do not accept the love of the Father, when we think ill of him, when we think he is angry. Therefore, assure yourselves, there is nothing more acceptable unto the Father than for us to keep up our hearts unto him as the eternal fountain of all the riches, that rich grace which flows out of sinners in the blood of Jesus. There's nothing more joyful to God the Father than for us to know that he loves us. My friends, it's taken me a long time to learn to accept this reality. A lot of repentance, a lot of letting go of fear, a lot of surrendering myself to God. And I want to turn to some testimony and some practices that have been uh, in my life as to how I sort of bring the objective reality into my subjective experience. So a little background. Grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my, my parents were both Christians when, uh, they, when they, were, they had me and my brother and my sister. Um, my mom did not grow in a Christian home. My, my dad did. Um, good parents. I homeschooled the whole way through. I um, was loved. I was accepted. I had normal attachments with my family. Um, but it, from an early age, I remember struggling with accepting the love of the Father, accepting that, that God the Father loved me. I kind of got Jesus, but this image of a father that didn't, that loved me conditionally was always sort of in the back of my head. And our parents, um, a, our relationship with our parents builds images of the father, that pot of gold that, that Kayla was talking about. What, no matter how good our parents are, there's always a little mix of gold and charcoal, if you will, inside. They can't, they're not perfect in giving us their love. And it's easy for us to take their mistakes and project them on God. So, I felt like God was aloof and simultaneously loved me at the same time. Sometimes he loved me and sometimes he hated me. God kind of felt a little bipolar to me. Maybe you identify with that feeling. My friends, I remember from a very early age that I just wanted to experience and know that I was loved. I wanted to know that I was secure, and that no matter how much I screwed up, I was loved. I think we can identify with that feeling. And I did a lot to try to deal with that. I coped in good ways and bad ways. Um, some of the good things I did, I read, I, re I think it was in early high school, I, I met or started reading Brennan Manning, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. And his, his big shtick in that is grace. Grace, unrelentless grace. It's, it was very a healing balm to my soul. I read Hen, uh, Henry Nowen a lot in high school. Um, the, 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 the father relentlessly loves me was a huge message of, of his. I did, when I retreats, I was highly involved in high school uh, youth group. I prayed, I struggled. And I had these like fits of accepting the acceptance of God the Father, but then these images, this, this, this battle of knowledge, I knew objectively that God the Father loved me, but then this other image was just sort of hanging out in the back of my head, an Abba, a, an angry God behind the Abba, if you will. And I couldn't get those aligned. I learned prayers to pray. I learned breath prayers. Some of them I'll introduce to you 
a little while. But all the while, I, I was still just struggling with getting that objective knowledge into my subjective experience. I, when I went to Labrie, I went and spent three months at a, at a retreat center, uh, or in a retreat uh, at Labrie, and I had this phenomenal experience of the love of the Father. It was, it was, very, uh, it was, it was very moving, and it, it confirmed my calling to ministry. But even then, after that, it was this back and forth. It was a real struggle. During this time, I also struggled with depression and anxiety um, and loneliness. So by no means did I experience Jenny's life. But I, exp- I can identify with the loneliness, with those questions, with that feeling of, why did you have me? Why am I here? I hope that, that brings into, into sort of reality that this isn't an extreme experience, that someone who grew up in middle America with good family, good Christian parents can experience this. And I wish I could say that there was like this one like moment that, that just shifted all of it. And there, there isn't. There just simply has not been this like come to Jesus or come to the Father moment where I'm like, oh, I get it now and I'm, I'm healed. <laughs> no. But I would say for the last few years, I've slowly come to a greater sense of God the Father's love for me through various, through various means. First, for me personally, was, uh, was repenting of sin. Really taking the reality of my sin seriously and learning to let that go. Another area was, was God putting me into a position where I was no longer in control of my life. And I actually had to take on faith that he was worthy of being trusted. I've told my story about the search for a job and, and having our child and, and, and uh, the extreme uh, sort of <laughs> literal homelessness that my wife and I experienced for a couple months in that transition. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a, a, a breaking point for me where I was like, I either trust that God the Father is good and has my back, or I just fall into a deep pit of depression. <laughs> And by God's grace, I was able to learn to accept that love. But it really had to do with letting go. Letting go of, of, of my desire to be in control. I also, um, throughout my time, I would say from like 2010, um, even up to, uh, to March, I've, I've been in positions and been into conferences that, that there were times of healing prayer. I've been to a Leanne Payne conference, experienced this in my confirmation at a winter conference, at the Alpha Retreat I went to in March. These times of healing prayer, a lot of the times, they, there, are, there, there are issues that I want to deal with that all sort of funnel back to the love of the Father. An example, uh, at winter conference I asked for prayer about um, accepting, or not, uh, for dealing with, with the fear of what people think of me and the perfectionism that comes from that. And I, that really comes back to, does the Father love me? So that, that was a moment of asking for prayer for the Father's love. And that's helped. That sort of has massaged the Father's love into my heart. And frankly, it comes kind of down to just daily disciplines. Whenever I get disturbed or anxious, and this happens fairly regularly, I have to return to the fact that God the Father loves me. He is not displeased with me. I don't have to perform to get his approval. Peter Gregg, Pete Gregg again says, God's pleasure in us is never dependent upon your achievements. 
He loves us because he likes us because we are his kids. This gets back to the reality of adoption. And friends, I think it's important for us to, to realize that what I'm proposing here is that it takes daily discipline. It, you, can, you can tell yourself, you need to tell yourself over and over and over again and hear it from others and receive prayer for it and read it in scripture. All of these things build up the faith that God the Father actually loves us. So there's no silver bullet here. There's no one prayer that's going to make all that pain go away. It takes time, and it takes consistent moving in that direction. So I've, I mentioned in my sermon last week practicing the presence of God, and I, I met this sort of, uh, by God's grace, practice in high school again. And I would say that if there's one thing that sort of has funneled me along towards a greater understanding of God, the Father's love, it's that. It's, it's returning to God's presence throughout the day. When I have a moment of anxiety, coming to God the Father and saying, please show me that you love me. And this objective reality isn't always experienced. It, it truly, we truly do sometimes have to live, oftentimes live by faith. I think we, we, we want faith to be this sort of like immediate plug that's like, uh, if I have faith and I'm going to experience the God, God's love and I'll be good. And sometimes I just have to trust that God's the fa- God the Father loves me even when I don't experience it. So, repentance of sin, letting go of control, daily disciplines, receiving prayer, and a few realities that I've come to sort of return to mentally and scripturally that I, I, I want to share with you. And these will relate sort of bringing the objective stuff down into the subjective stuff that Caleb talked about. Aligning our feelings and my, my subjective experience with reality. And the first thing, this, this uh, came to me in college, this quote um, that's been very helpful, is, is learning to see God the Father through the life of Jesus Christ. There's a story told by a, a theologian, uh, a, a favorite theologian of mine. Is God really like Jesus? This is a question which seemed to have made a deep impression on him, the theologian's T.F. Torrance. It was asked asked by a dying soldier, Private Phillips, who was found by T.F. Torrance, on the stretcher bearer, and who asked this question. Padre, is God really like Jesus? Padre, is God really like Jesus? T.F. Torrance was was a a, a, a chaplain in... uh, I think it was World War II. So he'd seen the horrors of World War II. <clears throat> and this is one of the soldiers that he was ministering to. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks, sir. Padre, was God really like Jesus? That's what Torrance said. I assured them that he was. The only God that there is. The God who had come to us in Jesus. Shown his face to us and poured out his love to us as our Savior. As I prayed and commended him to the Lord Jesus, he passed away. Is God really like Jesus? I think some ways, excuse me, if there was one thing I I, I wish I could communicate to people who don't know God, who are struggling with faith, it's that. You know, everybody says, oh, I really like Jesus. I'm not sure about God the Father. Jesus reveals the exact image of God the Father. So it's because of Jesus that we can know that God the Father loves us. 
So a prayer, I want to suggest to you, to sort of massage this reality in. There's a prayer to Jesus, and this is the prayer. Jesus, show me the love of your Father and my Father. There's a good prayer to teach and to hold in the back of our heads for people who really struggle with the image of God as Father. So that's the first reality. Jesus reveals who God the Father is. And now I want to talk briefly that it's about God the Father who really loves us. These two quotes I've actually come to recently um, in my reading, and I, uh, one from Augustine and one from John Owen, and, and they've sort of have sealed in a lot of ways the struggles that I've had um, theologically with God the Father's love. And they're quotes I return to again and again as I continue, as God continues to work this into me. And again, pardon the English the love, therefore, wherewith God loves, God the Father loves, is incomprehensible and immutable. I was struck by how that's basically what we were singing in Great is Thy, Great is Thy Faithfulness this morning. For it was not from the time that we were reconciled to him, to the Father, by the blood of his Son, that he began to love us. But he did so before the foundation of the world, that we also might be his sons along with his only begotten. Before as yet... We had any existence of our own. What he's saying is God the Father didn't start loving us once Jesus paid the price. Jesus wasn't there to just reconcile us to an angry father. The Father loved us from before the foundations of the world. Let not the fact, then, of our having been reconciled unto God through the death of his Son be so listened to or so understood as if the Son reconciled us to him in this respect, that he now began to love those whom he formerly hated. In the same way an enemy is reconciled to an enemy, so that after they become friends, and mutual love takes the place of mutual hatred. But we were reconciled unto him who already loved us, but with whom we were at enmity because of sin. The Father loves us, period. There is sin, and the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit deal with sin. But they wouldn't have dealt with sin if they didn't already love us. The Father would not have sent his Son if he did not already love us. There are images within uh, popular sermonizing that, that, that puts the Father as a wrathful character and the Son as this loving character. And friends, I get the intuition behind it, but it simply is not an accurate way to speak of God our Father. John Owen, another quote, um, sort of putting uh, the words of our Savior uh, into different words, things that he said from Scripture, says this, Take no care of, of that, nay, impose not that upon me, this is Jesus saying, of procuring the Father's love for you. So don't, don't say, oh, the, father, the Son has procured the Father's love for me. But know that this is his peculiar respect towards you, and which you, are in th- and which you are in him. He himself loves you. It is true indeed, as I told you, that I will pray the Father to send you the Spirit, the Comforter, and with him all the gracious fruits of his love. But yet in the point of love itself... Free love, eternal love, there is no need of any intercession for that. For enmity, for eminently, the Father himself loves you. The Father loves you, period. Jesus doesn't have to convince him to love you. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't have to convince Jesus and the Father to love you. I think this is helpful in combating the images, these two quotes of Im- the images of God as an angrily, angry, miserly father who will blow up with you anytime you screw up. I think that's very helpful in healing our minds and our imaginations in rebuking the images of, of bad fathers and authority figures in our, he- in our hearts and our ha- minds. There's a longer quote. Uh, it's in there. Um, I'm going to skip it just for the sake of time. But it encourages, John Owens encourages us to meditate on the love of the Father, that it will, it will enliven your hearts. <coughs> just this little blurb from it. Put this then to venture. Exercise your thoughts upon this very thing, the eternal, free, and fruitful love of the Father, and see if your hearts be not wrought upon to delight in him. Meditate on that. Meditate on the love of the Father. So there's a question, and maybe you haven't been bothered by this, but there's a question that bothered me for a long time, is what do we do with the wrath of God? It's reality and scripture. And it's one that oftentimes, apologetically, we kind of can get some, there's some sticky wickets there for our people who don't know Christ yet. Two thoughts, very briefly. God's wrath is his love and action against sin. Well, it seems hard and harsh and hard to understand, his wrath is actually for our good. Friends, God loves us so much that he hates the sin in us and wants to heal that. And this was something I really struggled with for a long time. I, I had a hard time dividing out myself and my sin. But once I realized, I was like, okay, my sin is actually bad for me. And you actually, sometimes we have to be convinced of that. But my sin is actually bad for me, and my God wants the best for me. And he wants to heal me of that. And that's his wrath towards my sin. It's not loving of God to let us continue to be who we are in our brokenness. Love changes you. It doesn't keep you where you are. True love, at least. And secondly, um, in, co- in sort of opposition and contrary to that image of God the Father as wrathful and God the Son as, as loving, it's worth realizing in Scripture that when we say God, it often is God the Father, but it can also be God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. And in fact, God the Son is just as wrathful against sin as God the Father, and God the Spirit is just wrathful against sin as God the Father and God the Son. It's the inseparable work of the triune God to destroy sin in our lives and bring us in union with Christ. So those are two thoughts that I found helpful and, and helpful in dealing with um, images of, 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 of bad fathers. So I talked about parents and how that can affect you. I, I find, I'm convinced that also authority figures, especially in our, in our childhood, write images of what God the Father is like. And I'll, I'll share a little more detail about this because I... I want to respect my parents and how well they've raised me. But um, from 11 to 21, I was in uh, the martial arts. and I was a part of a Christian martial arts program. And I was deep in. I, I was at my dojo two to three days a week um, doing training for two hours a day or two hours of those days. Um, and I, I spent time uh, with my teacher, Johnny Russell, uh, for a long, a lot of those years. His, his title was Shidoshi, and I still can't not call him Shidoshi. Uh, <laughs> it was, shows how impressionable, I, how impressed I was by, by his, this person. And Shidoshi 
the more I got to know him, the more I realized that he was, um, he was a good man. He was a Christian man. He desired to honor God. But I think that he really struggled with being manipulative and being very authoritarian. And uh, I was very uh, broken by that. Uh, I left my uh, martial arts, ta- my time in martial arts because of his manipulation. Because he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't see, he would, wanted me to fit into this particular box and believe particular things and he would manipulate me to get into those things. And I, I, I'm, con- I, I, that means something. That wrote something about God into my heart. So one of the things I have to do is trust that God's not a manipulative jerk. I have to surrender these images to the good father through Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to show me his love. The son of T.F. Torrance says this, and I think I I bring this up because it's an important thing in our ministry, in our prayer ministry. Because sometimes there will be people who we pray for who just had a terrible experience of a father and authority figure, and we need to be sensitive to that and not foist the father upon them. So often, J.B. Torrance says, tragically, the only dad some children know is an alcoholic or one who has abused his wife and family. This makes it all the more important that we allow Jesus Christ to interpret true fatherhood for us, both human and divine. It comes back to that reality of Christ interpreting the Father. There's a really moving story, and this brings up the second prayer I want to offer to you. Um, Brendan Manning tells the story that he was on retreat, um, leading a retreat for uh, a convent, and a nun came up to him, an old woman came up to him and said, Manning, I, Brendan, I... I um, She's obviously been a Christian for much of her life. She's been a practicing Christian. And she sa- he says, I still, I, sh- I still can't understand God the Father's love for me. And she was, goes on to relay the abuse that her father, um, horrible abuse, I don't want to go into detail, but horrible abuse along the lines of what Jenny experienced um, that her father did to her. And that wrote forever in her mind the love, <laughs> the, the lack of love of the father. So Brennan offered her this prayer. Abba, Father, I belong to you. Brennan said, go and and pray this prayer for 20 minutes a day. She comes back and says, Brennan, something's happened. I I can experience the Father's love for me again. Or or for the first time, really. Abba, Father, I belong to you. I've, I've used this prayer. This prayer I find most very effective in moments of anxiety and doubt reassuring me that the Father is with me and for me, and that I belong to him. So the Father truly loves us. Jesus teaches us who the Father is. And as Caleb so, so well taught this morning, that we are objectively united to Christ, and Christ is united to us, and nothing can separate us from God the Father. We read this throughout scripture. This is one of the core realities of our faith and one that I think oftentimes we don't meditate on enough. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor, nothing, nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, when you believe in Jesus and you are baptized into his death and resurrection, you are united to him. His death is your death. His life is your life. 
It's what we call justification and sanctification. You are declared righteous and accepted in Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, you are being made righteous from the inside out in Jesus Christ. And friends, it's, it's easy to think this is a nice metaphor. This is, you know, this is a nice idea. This is reality. This is what Gordon Smith says about it. Christ himself, his very self, becomes our true home, even as we, ourselves, our embodied selves, are the home of Christ. Therefore, we do not merely follow Jesus, though we certainly follow. We do not merely obey Jesus, though we certainly live as those who do his will. And we do not merely imitate Jesus, though without doubt we follow his example. Rather, we participate in the life of Jesus, literally, not metaphorically. This is the heart of the Christian faith. This is the, rea- this is the place in Jesus where we experience God the Father's love. This is what Paul said. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So a prayer that I found, and I, I think I got this from Brennan, um, a few other places as well. Um, and it's actually a quote from the Song of Songs. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And friends, this is, I'm sometimes made uncomfortable by this prayer, because it's so, so audacious. It's rooted in the, in the bridegroom, the picture of, of us being the bride of Christ. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. When I struggle with shame or inadequacy or what I think what people think of me, I can return to the reality that Jesus is in me and I am in him. When I struggle with sin and temptation or failure, I return to the reality that I am in Christ and he is making me into his likeness because the Father is so very fond of me. And finally, we return. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our life in Christ and grows us more and more in communion with the Father when I struggle with shame or doubt and anxiety about God the Father's love for me, it usually comes back to doubting that he is good and will take care of me. One reason, is Jesus, one reason Jesus sent, Jesus and God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us is to constantly remind us that God never leaves us or forsakes us. Friends, like, it's beyond words. Like, God literally never leaves us or forsakes us because God, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our life in Christ dwells in your hearts. Not metaphorically, literally. This is what Paul in Galatians says. Because you are the son, his sons, God sent his spe- the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It is this spirit, the spirit of God the Father and Jesus Christ, that dwells in us, communicating to us that we are the beloved in Jesus Christ. He is in us, making us more and more like our older brother, Jesus Christ, by giving us his gifts and cultivating in us his fruit. So a prayer. Famous one, an ancient one. Come, Holy Spirit. I would suggest you add something in that particular moment when you're struggling. Come, Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus Come, Holy Spirit, show me the love of God the Father. Come, Holy Spirit, strengthen me. There have been times in my life when I've received prayer, as I talked about earlier, or I've asked God in prayer to assure me that he loves me, that he accepts me, that I'm not alone, and he has. 
Sometimes not in ways I expect. Sometimes it's, it's come through a long journey of repentance. But he does do this because he is, because his love is immovable and unshakable, because God the Father has saved me and indelibly united me to his son through the Holy Spirit, who is the seal, guarantee, and foretaste of my inheritance is Jesus Christ. So friends, in conclusion, I want to offer a summary of what we've talked about and a few practices in summary. First, I want to say that when it comes to getting that objective reality into our hearts, um, worship and receiving the word and sacrament are the bread and butter of our union with Christ and receiving the love of the Father. Because it is an objective thing that comes and we receive. We don't have to earn the word. We don't have to earn the sacrament. It is a sign and seal of our life in Christ. Secondly, as we'll learn about more, I want to encourage you that receiving prayer for the love of the Father in our hearts is a really important practice for all of us to take, to do. This is what our prayer teams, I would suggest, are for. For healing and for receiving and for continually being renewed in the love of the Father. The fact that we are beloved children of God takes time to really get. I think it's a lifelong journey. Pray for the, praying for this to sink into every aspect of our hearts, minds, and lives is essential to walking closer with Jesus Christ. The prayer of God's love and our union with Christ literally relates to every aspect of our lives. And finally, as, throughout this talk, I've offered breath prayers. I find that practice to be something that, that mas- continually massages this into my mind and my heart. So I recommend those to you as a practice in light of all the other practices to allow Christ to continue to show you God's the Father's love and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Abba, Father, we belong to you. Jesus, you are our beloveds and our desire is for you. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with your love pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello. <laughs> all right, you all know I'm Lindsay Harrison. Um, let me just pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill my heart and my words. Be present with all of us and teach us the love that you have for each one of us. Help us to practice, practice this, practice your presence and praying for ourselves and one another and for our church. We pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen. Can you guys hear me okay? I know Caleb said I had to. Ah. All right. Remind me if.
it starts straying away. Um, I'm not a great natural speaker, so bear with me. Uh, and I'm not quite as organized as Ethan or Caleb. So this may be a little convoluted, and we're just going to go with it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start by just sharing a little bit of uh, my testimony, um, just to kind of give you some context um, for where, for who I am. Um, so I grew up in a non-Christian family. Um, my my mom was nominally Catholic, and we sometimes went to church, but that just really wasn't a part of our family life. And I really didn't even know the concept of God, of who he was. I, I remember a point in my childhood thinking, who is this Jesus person, and why is he sometimes called God? Like, it just, nobody ever explained it to me. So that was just part of my life. Um, and because of that, as you can imagine, um, it was, there was no um, basis for, for faith in our family life. Um, there's a lot of brokenness there. Um, and, you know, my parents were, they, they did their best and they loved me and I knew that. Um, but like I said, there, were, there was a lot of brokenness. And um, specifically in individuals in my family, but also in the relationships. Um, and, and namely, um, my, my dad had a lot of um, issues with anger and depression, and that very much clouded our, um, you know, our family life and my childhood. Um, and so, it was later um, in my years of growing up that I was that I was really introduced to what being a Christ follower is um, through the grace of God. A friend from school invited me to a Bible study, and I went. And I thought that's really cool. They're praying to God, and it's not some prayer that I don't know what it means and there I mean it was real and I felt that as a as a kid and um the Holy Spirit continued to tug and guide my heart um and really grew my faith um throughout high school and in and into college led me to a Christian college and um and and yeah um I don't really know what else to say about that, but that, that's really how I became a Christian. And uh, after college, um, as many of you know, I went to grad school. And during this time, God led me to a very specific and special church um, that really practiced a lot of this, this type of prayer. And I don't know if that was a, a conscious you know, teaching that happened at some point in the church, but it, it was there and it was real. And I received a lot of healing um, in my own heart because of that. Um, and, and I'll get more to some of those specifics um, later on. I kind of want to switch gears for a minute. Um, 
and um, and sort of try to weave in some of what we've already talked about this morning. Um, so another part of my life that maybe some of you may not know, uh, professionally, obviously right now I am a professional mom and I'm loving that. Thanks be to God, we are um, being cared for and um, have the ability to do that. So. Um, anyways, professionally, I am a counselor, and I got my master's in counseling, and I have done a wide variety of <laughs> different um, practices in my experience. I've done some uh, work in addictions and uh, working with people with developmental disabilities, but my favorite experience uh, in my professional work has been, um, well, for the four years prior to us coming here, I was working in, um, in family therapy. And I was working with, uh, sorry about that, uh, families, uh, lots of different issues, but as, um, yes, w intensive family therapy for um, people with kids who had severe mental health issues, um, as well as I was supervising other therapists doing the same thing. So anyways, all that to say, I have seen, unfortunately, countless cases like Jenny. And I'm just going to pause and say that uh, I'm okay <laughs> to cry, but I, I do get emotional because this is, this is real and it's close to my heart. Um, why I brought the Kleenex. <laughs> I've seen countless cases like Jenny, who um, Caleb talked about this morning. Um, she was a victim of addiction um, and, and brokenness. But frankly, we, we are all there. We're all there. I've seen many other much less extreme cases of normal-looking families uh, <laughs> and individuals who, who experience something, something off, you know? Um, and it's much harder for us to, to dig in and discern, what is that? What, why, what doesn't feel right? I'm not chronically depressed. I'm not uh, suffering from an addiction, but something, uh, something's not right. And I will tell you, <laughs> I mean, obviously, Jesus is the answer, right? I mean, that's what Christianity is about. Um, but even after receiving Christ, being baptized, those things don't heal deep down. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a part of... Uh, uh, definitely a part of receiving God's salvation. Um, but, you know, we, we hear this, sanctification, becoming more like God, that takes a lifetime. And, and this, is, this is a um, an opportunity for us to move towards that, to move towards the love of God. Um, just a little psych 101 here. Um, we talked a little bit about, uh, about attachments in relationships. 
um, if you guys have ever taken a psychology class, you've learned about attachment theory and there are secure attachments and then there are several types of insecure attachments and this can lead to all kinds of problems and we, you know, Caleb touched on, um, on some of the ac severe mental health issues that can come out of that, of, of those insecure attachments. Um, but many of us have secure attachments. I mean, I despite the issues in my family growing up, I'm securely attached to my parents, you know? And, and that was, and I've had a, again, a, a normal, healthy life. Um, but again, just because a, a psychologist could label me as a securely attached, healthy individual, I still felt um, this deep loneliness, um, anxiety, and fear. Um, again, as Caleb described, those of us who have these, this, uh, secure attachment, we still have broken patterns of relationships. Um, you know, I be the first to admit as much as Ethan and I are, are working um, towards building a healthy, loving family, um, and by the grace of God, we are able to do that because he is present in our lives and in our homes, Varen is still going to grow up with broken parents. And it, it's, it's important uh, for me <laughs> to remember that, you know. Um, there are broken patterns in all of us. And so, again, I want to I bring this back to here, at Emmanuel Anglican Church, um, where many of you are part of the prayer teams, this makes a, a challenge for us because so many of us are tempted to feel, I don't have a need for prayer. I don't have an illness. I don't have a physical need. I don't have you know, I, I have all of my basic needs met, you know, food, clothing, shelter, etc. And yet we do, all of us do have a deep need to be reminded of God's love. And I think it, it's, it's so sad to me that... Um, I think Ethan um, used a quote about the um, about how Satan rejoices in this. He rejoices that we don't realize this need. Um, and if there is anything I, I would want to encourage our church in is that we all need this. We all need this prayer. Um, 
And so I want to encourage, I also want to encourage uh, those of you on the prayer teams. Um, but really, this again, this applies to all of us in our con different contexts because we all come in contact with people who ask for prayer. Um, in our small groups, we pray for each other. And, and this can be applied in all of those different settings. I would encourage you all that no matter what the prayer request is, we can relate these, these needs. Um, we can pray for the deeper, larger sense of identity um, in the love of the Father. As to to the request that that person is making, um, that was a little convoluted, so I apologize. But but let's say you know a, a person comes and asks for prayer because they have cancer, or a back injury, or my sister's neighbor's dog has a cold and we need to pray for him. Those are all great prayer requests. But we also have to remember that the will of God is for everyone to know who they are as a beloved child of God. And so we have an opportunity, but also I'd encourage you a, a, a responsibility to pray for not just those things that were requested, but also that though this person would know how deeply they are adored by their father. So I'm going to jump back into, um, into my, my personal uh, testimony here. Um, but before I do that, any thoughts or questions that you guys have? Did that, that make sense and <laughs> flow? Okay. <laughs>
that's actually interesting and reminded me of something that I didn't cover already. Um, I think there's a much bigger answer to your question that probably Ethan or Caleb will be more qualified to answer. But I can say that I know that as, as humans, we are all created in the image of God. And as Christians, we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so despite these broken, ugly vessels, <laughs> we still reflect God to each other. And it's important to, to our souls <laughs> to be in relationship with other people. That is how God created us. Um, and so that's the complicated mess of being a part of the world <laughs> post-fall is that we have to be in relationship with other people, but it's complicated, right? I mean, that's, that's the deal. Um, and so that it, you know, that's why it has to go hand in hand with knowing and being known by God. Um, because sometimes we can know God better through <laughs> relationships, and sometimes we're torn away from him because of relationships. And sometimes that's the same relationship. <laughs> that, you know? Um, so what I was going to say is that I'm going to give a little plug for a book that I really love. Um, it's not necessarily about prayer. Um, but it is called The Anatomy of the Soul, and I think this cover is uh, one that you should judge because it looks like a new age spiritual mind journey, and it's not. It's a beautiful, beautifully written book by a, uh, a Christian man who actually uh, happens to be Anglican, so that's cool. And uh, he is actually a psychiatrist who talks a lot about things that uh, I get really jazzed about in my uh, life as a counselor, really t talking about how relationships form us. And what he does in this book is really um, talk about how our relationships, our human relationships, influence our, un, our relationship and our understanding with God and, and vice versa. And that mending our human relationships can really have a positive impact on our relationship with God. Um, I'll share a few quotes just um, because he talked. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson. C. Yes, you can all take a look at this um, afterwards. Um, so this is, he has a whole chapter called As We Are Known. And he talks about how important it is for us to be known. Um, the other night, I wish you were all here because it was it was a beautiful concert that we had 
um, by the liturgical folk. And uh, Father Nelson was talking about um, some of the process of, of writing uh, hymns or poems that have become hymns. And he talked about the necessity of being noticed. Um, do you remember the word that he used? I think that's how he described it, being noticed, how important it is for, um, you know, a, in a marriage that we need to be continually noticed by the other. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't feel great to be married for 20 years and for my spouse to only say, you have a, a I think he was joking about, you have a beautiful nose and that's it. And that 20 years later, well, what about the rest of me? <laughs> yeah. um, but w we do, we need to be noticed and known. And so um, anyways, kind of a tangent. Um, but here's some quotes from Kurt Thompson. To be known means that you, are that you allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order for them to be healed. sit with that one for a minute. Um, the process of being known is the vessel in which our lives are kneaded and molded, lanced and sutured, confronted and comforted, bringing God's new creation closer to its fullness in preparation for the return of the king. I love that imagery. How being known both lances and sutures us. It confronts and comforts. That, that image that Ethan shared of, of the wrath of God being because he loves us. He confronts us as he comforts us. That's part of being known by a perfect and loving father. This is a, a, just a thought-provoking quote that, um, again, I thought would be helpful for us all to just think on. Here is the quote. Pause for a moment and ponder the following. When you consider the state of your own or someone else's spiritual health, how often do you ask, what is my experience of being known by God? Or does she demonstrate that she is being known by God? If you're like me, you often inquire and or reflect on what or how much you know about God. Again, I think this is uh, this is a, an Im I don't know. It's, um, it's a result of, of where of our culture, and uh, 
the, the value that we put on knowledge. Um, and yet that relational knowing of a person, knowing our souls is important. Yes, you in the back the, with the weird face. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I thought that was a question. Okay. Um, so anyways, let me, let me uh, go back into some, uh, some personal, my personal experience of this as well as some, as some practices. Um, and then we would all like to practice and pray for each other. Um, so uh, back to my experience in this church, um, in my early 20s, um, I was single and I was in grad school, so very stressful time in my life. And there was also some issues in my family that were coming to light that had been uh, a long time coming and um, that was also very stressful. And this church, and I really do emphasize the fact that God just brought me here. It was, you know, I moved to a totally new city and blah, blah, blah. It, he plopped me right down in this church and um, had some great relationships there. Um, there. There was this culture of prayer in the church, not only on Sundays with prayer teams, but also in small groups and um, and and just a, in daily relationships. I mean, the the um, close friends that I made in my small group prayed for me regularly. And um, again, many people received prayer not not just for physical healing. But sometimes there was that. Sometimes it was work stress, family tension, um, you know, longer-term spiritual needs. And, and I think that this, uh, you know, it, wasn't a, it certainly wasn't a perfect church, but I definitely think that this impacted the, the overall health of that church. And... Um, and so for me personally, um, like I said, it, it was a very stressful time in school. I also felt a lot of confusion about where God was taking me in the future, um, the issues that were going on in my family, and, and the loneliness I felt. Um, like I said, I, I was single and, uh, you know, dealing with this... Um, five-year crush that I had on my friend Ethan who didn't care about me and um, <laughs> I didn't mean to put you under the bus but I guess I did so I love you and I'm really happy with where our life is um, anyways there was just a there was a lot of brokenness that that culminated during those years in my heart and um, you know, there was not one single time of prayer that was life-altering for me. But looking back, I see this 
overall trend of healing in my heart as, as people repeatedly prayed for me as a beloved child of God. Um, some things that, that specifically uh, spoke to me that were prayed over me, um, and these came in the forms of, of just scripture, people speaking scripture over me, uh, words that God gave to people, um, and images. Um, just a, a few things that I'll share. The words, these probably mean nothing to you. The words humble confidence. Somebody prayed those over me, and it still brings tears to, to my eyes. Um, this, um, again, you are loved and adored. Those mean a lot to me. Um, the image of the image of me as a little girl playing in the mud and God picking me up. And doesn't need me off and giving me a hug. That's all. Um, some other, um, some things that I also wanted to share about the way that people prayed for me. Um, even suggested, I think very wisely, just starting by asking, come Holy Spirit. I also noticed that uh, most of the people th at my church that prayed uh, for, for me, they, they waited. There, there was silence. That's okay. Sometimes that's the most powerful place in prayer is being silent together before our God. I think this also teaches um, or it communicates to the person being prayed for that you're taking this seriously. You're not just jumping in and spouting off the first words you're saying. You're waiting and allowing the Spirit to speak through you. I think it also allows my heart to settle. You know, I, despite this being a normal um, part of my church's life, it, it's still kind of nerve-wracking to go and ask for prayer, especially somebody that you don't know. Um, you might not even be saying anything particularly intimate or vulnerable, but it's still... Anyways, allowing your heart to settle. No matter what the prayer request, you know, if it my prayer request one week was, I've got this term paper that isn't started yet. <laughs> and I'm super anxious and I need help to finish it. Um, let's pray for that. And in that, in that anxiety, in that really simple, uh, practical 
need is God's love. God loves me even though I procrastinated. He loves me no matter what the outcome of this paper is. Um, and that's where we can turn to all the things that we've talked about this morning. Um, God is present and he adores us. Um, I would just like to close by reading um, a scripture that means more to me than, than everything that I already shared um, that was prayed over me. Um, and we actually already heard it this morning, so it, it's, um, it's good for us to hear it again and to massage it into our hearts. I invite you to close your eyes. Receive this for yourself. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you, Lindsay Harrison, by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Amen. I would uh, like to pass these um, little packets out. I just came up with a list of scripture. Ethan helped me a little bit. Um, these are just things off the top of my head that, um, that I thought would be helpful as you all pray for people. Um, and I left blank, uh, blank space because there's tons more. The, this is the message of the Bible. It, it's all over. And so there's more. And I'd love um, for you to, to just sit down and, and meditate and think about what other scripture you could add to that. But this is something I just thought might be helpful as you think about praying for other people. These are words that our God has actually given to us. Um, so thank you for listening to me, and that is all. Thank you, Lindsay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to do a couple of things here. Um, first, uh, between Ethan and I, we've used a whole lot of resources. Uh, Lindsay shared uh, the anatomy of the soul resource with you. Um, if you have any interest in reading about empathy and the origins of cruelty. This is Simon uh, Baron Cohen's book. I don't highly recommend it, but if you're interested. Um, this is The uh, the Human Condition by Hannah Arendt. Um, again, uh, if you'd like to read it, she's a 1950s philosopher. I don't highly recommend it. There's really good stuff in there. I understood um, about 2% of what I read, so feel free, knock yourself out. Uh, don't take my copies, you cheaters. 
you would hit the highlights and just look at my stickers. This is Saving Jenny. Um, this is by Vivian Percy. It's not her real name. It's just her, uh, her writing name. Uh, there's a lot of really, really powerful stuff in here, um, heartbreaking stuff in here, um, as she's writing about trying to save the life of her daughter who was in full-blown opiate addiction at the age of 14 uh, and her friends. So if you're interested, uh, Vivian Percy, that's a, a, a good resource, a good, a good book to read. Again, please don't take mine. But then, of course, uh, J.I. Packer, uh, Praying the Lord's Prayer, fantastic, the classic J.I. Packer, Adam's favorite book, Knowing God. Um, and then uh, I would really, really highly recommend um, Pete Gregg's book, Dirty Glory. Um, we, we're going to, in this fall, uh, we're going to do the prayer course. Uh, which is part of Holy Trinity Brompton. Uh, but the talking head in the prayer course is Pete Gregg and his uh, prayer ministry, 24-7 prayer. Uh, this really is one of Adam's favorite books that he read in about two days. So um, it's, it's a fantastic book if you, if you want to pick that up. Um, so I'll leave these up here. Um, please don't take these. These are our personal copies. But if you want to write down the names and the author, of all these amazing books, especially The Science of Evil on Empathy and the Origins of Cruelty by Simon Baron Cohen. I'm sure this is delightful bedside reading for you. Um, <coughs> it's the stuff of nightmares, actually. Um, what I'd like to do now is really, we've got a, a few moments left, um, and if, if you need to leave, that's okay. What I'd like to do is just offer a time of prayer. Um, Ethan and Lindsay and I, uh, what we'd like to do is mentor and model. So uh, we'd like for us to model over you, pray for some of you um, at the altar rail, and then turn around and have you practice that uh, here today with one another, and then tomorrow, uh, being Sunday, begin practicing that in our prayer times. Um, so we're going to do that. We'll put on some music, um, some wonderful liturgical folk music, uh, softly in the background, and we'll begin to pray for one another. Um, just sort of a logistics thing, by the way. Um, we've talked about this in the elders and I think that we're going to do a relocation of our Sunday morning prayer teams. Um, this is going to throw some people into a tailspin, but I think it's really, really good for us to do this. Uh, we're going to put them over here against this wall. Uh, we're going to move a couple of tables forward and probably take at least one table out. But so that we can uh, reinforce this idea of privacy and confidentiality, so that people aren't up front underneath screens being prayed over so that people aren't by the back door. We're going to move them over here. And I'm going to start to just kind of massage this with the congregation starting tomorrow. Just let them know this is going to be happening in a few weeks. Um, and there's no, no real reason to panic or, or freak out. God, I know. We're moving people's cheese. All right, Ethan, did you have something for us? Before we <coughs> before we begin, I just wanted to know if there were any questions sort of about the practice of this that you guys wanted to sort of put out there before we started uh, that Lindsay and I or Caleb could sort of answer. I'm gonna wait in the silence while you guys think. What do you? I mean, it, it, does do, do, does this make sense to you? Do you feel like moving?